In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the third Sunday of the Holy Great Fast, where we read the parable of the prodigal son, uh, the son who had asked his father while he was living with him to take his portion of the inheritance before his father died, and he went away and he wasted it. And we uh, read in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And this is a, a parable that the Lord said to the people to have a spiritual meaning, not just to look at the literal meaning of what it is that happened in this parable. And we read that when the son took the inheritance from his father, he went away where to a far country. And we want to look at what is the spiritual significance of this man who goes to a faraway country to live a life of sin and wastefulness. Um, and there's a significance to this. So we want to study this a little bit more and understand what is the significance of the faraway country? What are the things that we can learn? Why did he go to the faraway country? And what is the equivalent of the faraway country in our lives today? Maybe those people who uh, stray away from God, who choose to live in sin, and they go to a faraway country. What is the characteristics of this faraway country? So the first question we ask is, why do we go to a faraway country? The first reason someone might go to this faraway country in the spiritual life is to find a place away from God. In uh, the story of Jonah, when God called Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh and preach to them, we read in Jonah 1 verse 3, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So where is it that Jonah went? He went to the opposite direction from where the Lord called him to go. So it was, in a sense, for him this faraway country, right? It was a place away from God. He didn't want to be in the presence of God. He didn't want the rebukes of God. He didn't want to remember God. He didn't want God to be a judge for him. He simply wanted to run away, to go away. And also in the story of today in the prodigal son, this, this man, this son, he wanted to be away from the father. I cannot be in the presence of the father and commit the kind of sins that I want to commit. I cannot be in the presence of the father and live the lifestyle that I want to live. So the only solution that I have is to go far away, to a place where my father is not, to the place where God is not. What are some reasons we might want to go to a place that is far away from God? Maybe we don't want to serve him, just as in the case of Jonah. God calls Jonah to serve in a certain way. Um, Jonah says, no, so I have to flee. I can't just stay where I am to be constantly rebuked by God. I can't just stay in the church to always remember that I am living in the wrong way. I have to leave. I have to go far away to where there is no more memories, there is no more remembrance of the life that I had and the life that I'm choosing to live now. A second reason we might go to a place that's far away from God is we do not accept what he is doing in our lives. Maybe my expectations of God have, have faltered. Maybe what I expected God to give me what I expected God to, to offer me, the opportunities that he would give me, did not materialize. He did not give me what I wanted. The life that I have is not going in the direction that I wanted to go. I do not accept it. I do not accept God's authority. I do not surrender my will to God. And so I have to go to a place far away, a place where I do not see him, a place where I do not remember him. A third reason we might want to go to a place away from God is because we want to pursue things that he is against. My goals do not line up with the goals of God. My priorities do not line up with his priorities. So again, I cannot remain in his presence while I choose to live a life, while I choose to have goals and priorities that are contrary to what he has said. Another reason we might go to a place away from God is because we doubt his goodness. 
Maybe I stay with God as long as I believe that he is good and he is loving and he offers me what is good and right and he is the Lord of my salvation. I am content to stay with him in the place where he is. But if I begin to doubt his goodness, if I begin to believe actually that he is my enemy, if I believe that he is negligent, that he has abandoned me, that he has left me, if I doubt his goodness and his love, then maybe I don't feel any need or any desire to stay in his presence anymore. And so I, I leave. I leave God, I leave the church, I leave the spiritual life altogether. The fifth reason that we might go to a place away from God is because we have been led astray. Maybe I am led astray by the philosophies of the world, by the wrong teachings of the world, by the pressure that is in the world, by the, my, my fleshly heart's desire to go and to seek other things and other gains and other opportunities in the world apart from God. And so I'm gradually led astray by the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life that we spoke about last time um, on Temptation Sunday. So these are reasons maybe why I want to flee to a place far away from God to this far country. Another reason that we might want to go to the far country is I find in it a place that is away from the rebuke of others. In Proverbs 27, verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Maybe when I find myself in, in, the, in the midst of people who identify that the way that I choose to live, the decisions that I want to make, the lifestyle that I choose to have is an ungodly one, then those people around me are a constant memory and a constant reminder of maybe that I'm living in a state of sin. And so I want to get away from those people. I want to get away from the church because in the church I find people that maybe point to the direction that my life is going, to the wrong decisions I'm making, and they say, you know what, this is wrong. You can't continue to live this way. And I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear that the way I'm living is wrong. I just want people to accept me. I just want people to say, you know, you're doing great the way you are. You know, do what you think you should be done and so on. And so I get, I get tired and, and, and angry of hearing these voices. And so I say, you know what, this church is full of a bunch of judgmental people. And so I'm leaving, right? And I go away to this far country. Um, the, these people, maybe to them, are like a constant source of rebuke, both verbally and a reminder that, that we do not want to live as they do. Very easily when people choose to live a life away from God, they begin to see in the people around them as though that there is something wrong with them. There is something wrong with them. The way you guys are living is wrong. You guys don't have any freedom. You guys are too, you know, like uptight in everything that you do. Right? And they begin to say, you know what, instead of you blaming me, instead of you saying that I have a problem and that I need to change, instead actually the problem is with all of you. And that again makes them feel like they want to go away to a place where they spend all of their time with other people that think as they do, that have the same priorities they do, that love the things they do, so they do not hear any voice of rebuke from them. Another reason that maybe someone would go to the far country is because they find a place that is away from the reminders of the past. After we are there in, the, in that far country for some time, away from God, away from the church, we don't want to remember the way that we used to live. We, we, once we make a decision to leave, like this prodigal son, when he le leaves his father's house, he doesn't want to remember his father's house. He doesn't want to remember what it was like to be in his father's house. He says, you know what, I'm setting out on a new life, on a better life, on a place that is better for me. I don't want any memory of what it is it that my life was in the past. That lingering, fading voice of conviction from the Holy Spirit 
It, it pricks us, it bothers us, it annoys us. That voice in me that says, you need to go back to your father's house. You need to go back to your father. You can't live the way that you are living. We don't want to hear this voice. We want to silence the voice. We want to silence the memories. We want to silence all those memories and, and, and not remember the things that, that cause our conscience to be convicted. Father Matthew the poor, he says this in one of his books. He says, the spirit within is quenched and nothing remains in the heart except the whispers and bits of grace left over from the past life, which is all the person has left to resolve future problems. Here he's speaking about a person who has stopped pursuing spiritual things. Like a person who maybe at one point was pursuing the spiritual things, was living in the church, was serving God, was seeking to please God, and then they leave. They leave physically, they leave spiritually, they don't want to pursue these things anymore. And he says that whatever momentum they had, whatever like... Uh, you know, lingering remnants of the Holy Spirit that is left in them is all that is left for them to carry out and conduct their life moving forward. And so this person is living like on fumes, if you want to say. They're living on the fumes of the Holy Spirit, right? They're not the same person that they were. We find that our prayers have been weakened, our fasting has been weakened, our desire for God has been weakened in so many ways, maybe because we don't pursue the things that we used to pursue. So he's saying what? I don't want to remember the past. I don't want to look back and see the things that I have lost because it, it bothers me when I see that I have fallen, when it sees that I have gone astray. Instead, I only want to look forward. I'm committed. I want to go forward even if it means going away from God. So those are the three reasons why do we go to a faraway country. It's a place far away from God. It's a place away from the rebuke of others. And it's a place away from the reminders of the past. What happens then in this country? in this faraway country that the prodigal son went to, believing that this was the best place for him, leaving the comfort and the goodness of his father's house to go to this place that he sacrificed his entire life for, what really was there in store for him? Was it what he thought it was or was it something different? The first thing that happened to him and that happens to us when we go to this faraway country is that we lose our identity. We lose a, a sense of self. Who is it that I am? Who am I? I came from a place where I was the son and daughter of God. I came from, to a, from a place where I was a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And now instead, I have gone to a completely other place, living a completely different life, forgetting who I am, forgetting who my creator is, forgetting my purpose, forgetting where it is that I should be going. Our priorities change. Our decisions change. Our personality changes. The things that used to be off limits for me now become, uh, you know, Everything goes. I have no limit. I have no boundary. I am not, um, you know, I'm not inhibited anymore. I'm not hindered by the law of God. So might as well do all the things that I've, uh, that I've always dreamed of doing. I have been liberated. It says in the, in the parable, in verse 15, about the prodigal son, when he went to this faraway country, it says what? Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. You know, for the Jewish people, the swine was an unclean animal. You could not touch swine. You could not eat swine. You could not do anything related to swine. It was an unclean animal. God had said you should not touch it. You should not approach it, right? And if you do touch it, you are considered unclean, and there's some ritual cleaning rituals that you had to do in order to become clean again. So this man, even though as a Jewish man, that for him, being in the presence of swine was considered an abomination, and yet look where he is now in this faraway country. 
He put himself to be in the presence of this swine. He completely lost his identity. Who am I? I am not a Jewish person. I'm not a person who is trying even to obey the commandments of God, but I have completely left God and now have attached myself. It's interesting there. It says I, he joined himself to a citizen. It's like we are joining ourselves to the world. We are identifying ourselves with the world when we leave God, when we go astray from God, when we go away to this faraway country. So this son, like in his own mind, he has lost his rank as the status of a son, although of course we know that he really hasn't. God always sees us as his sons and daughters even when we go away. But in his own mind, he is no longer a son of his father. In his own mind, I can never go back to my father. In, in his own mind, I have chosen a completely different life. I am serving a stranger in a faraway, strange place for a little bit of money, doing a job that is considered defiling. And yet, this is the life that I have chosen. If you look at him now, he looks nothing like he did before when he was in the presence of his father. The second thing that happens to us in the faraway country is that we lose what was the most precious to us. People go away to the faraway country in the hope that they will gain the world. People who leave God, who leave the church, imagine that where they are going, that faraway place that they are going, is a place that will fulfill all of their dreams, that will give them all of their heart's desire, just as this son believed that when I take the inheritance of my father and I go and spend it on myself, I will be the most, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the most happy I've ever been in my life. I will enjoy myself more than I've ever enjoyed myself because I will take all of these resources and then finally I will have freedom to go and spend it the way that I should. Maybe in my father's house I always felt controlled. I always felt limited. There were too many rules. There's too many things that I was told I should not do. So now I'm finally going to have my freedom. I'm going to take what is mine and I'm going to go and I'm going to live life the way that I think it should be lived. But in the process, what did we see, right? We see actually that he lost the greatest things he had in his life. He lost his inner peace. He lost the relationship with his family. He lost his clear conscience that he had. He lost all of the things that were maybe intangible, that were hidden, that were not really obvious, that he took for granted because he never knew what it meant to live without them. We who are the children of God, we live with a sense of comfort and a sense of purpose and a sense of joy simply by associating ourselves with him, simply by knowing that God has a plan and a future for each of us. But those who turn their back on God, what is left in the world? It is only the world. It is only this world that is perishing. It is only this world that is filled with darkness and hatred and confusion. This is all the world that's left. If I leave the world of God, if I leave the place of God, the house of God, if I leave God myself and go to this faraway country, what is it that I can expect? All these beautiful things that maybe I take for granted with him, I lose. So what he, what he was hoping for, and what, and, you know, he actually lost so much more than he gained. He lost everything that he had. There was a cost associated with his decision to leave his house. It wasn't a free choice. He thought he was gaining the world, but actually he lost the most important things. The third thing that happened to him in this faraway country is disappointment. What, what he imagined his life would look like was completely opposite to what actually happened. To the point where it says what in verse 16, when he was in his lowest point, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. You know, that, that certainly was not what he expected. That's certainly not what was in the image in his mind when he chose to leave his father's house that he's going to be living wanting to eat the food of pigs. 
right? And that he would be content and satisfied. Like that's how low he had gotten, that, that for him eating the food of pigs was a step up, right? This, this disappointment, his, the image that he had in his mind about what would happen to him was completely destroyed. And this is one of the ways that the devil fools us. He fools us by painting this rosy picture of what it will be like if we make certain decisions. What if we like, what it'll be like if we transgress God's commandment? What it'll be like if we pursue certain things that our flesh desires, and then immediately when we go after these things, we find that we lose everything. We find that it was not anywhere as close as, as good as we imagined it to be, but actually it is a source of suffering for us. You know, someone who believes that maybe they can find um, they can find comfort in drug abuse, for instance, because it helps them um, to cope with the stresses that they face. And that in their mind, they believe that this is actually going to help me. But once they go down that road and go down that path, they find that all that is there for them is addiction. All that is left for them is sickness, and it doesn't solve any problem. The devil deceives us this way with any temptation. Every single temptation he offers us, he, we, we accept it because we believe it will bring us happiness. We believe it'll bring some kind of joy, some kind of peace, some kind of good feelings to us, and yet all that is left afterward is disappointment, as we know all too well that after we fall into sin, we feel ashamed, and we feel like it didn't bring us anything good that we imagined it to do. So finally, the question is, how do we come back? This son, thank God, did not stay in this place. He did not stay in this faraway country to the end. But he realized what is it that he had done, and he found a way back again to the Father, and he was restored again to his original place, having now learned an important lesson that actually otherwise, if he had not gone on this journey, maybe he would never have learned. That while he started out in his house as someone who was unappreciative of his father, unappreciative of what he had, always looking to the outside, thinking, I wish I had a different life. I wish I could take all these things and go have freedom to live as I choose. Now, after he went and tasted the bitterness of what that life actually looked like, he came back with humility to his father, and now he's living back in his father's house, but with a renewed appreciation of what does it mean to be the son of the, to be the son of God, to be the son of the father, the special privilege that it, that that he had in order to be in that place. So how do we come back again as he did? Well, the first thing that we read about him that happened before he came back is it says what in verse seventeen. But when he came to himself, he is there sitting in this horrible place, wanting to eat the food of pigs. And then what? Something hit him. He came to himself. He looked at his life objectively, and he said, what is it that I have done? What is it that I have done? And he acknowledged that this was his fault. I am the one who has chosen this life. I am the one who has come here. He remembered who he was, right? He remembered where he was before and how far away he had strayed from where he was before. He knew that this life he was living was not the intended life for him, right? It wasn't the way that God intended for him to live and that he caused all of this suffering, whether spiritual or physical, upon himself. No one else is to blame, right? And he is the only one that can make the change. And this is true with all of us. Whatever mistakes, whatever failures we make in our life, we have to come to ourselves. We have to say, you know what, this life that I have chosen is not the right life. This life that I have chosen is actually keeping me from the greatest joy and the greatest happiness and the, great, the greatest good things that God can offer to me I cannot have it. Why? Because I have chosen to live away from him. So he says, what? I have to change. There's something that I have to do. And not only 
did he, did he come to himself? But he had hope in restoration. You know, a lot of times people will identify that the choices that they are making are wrong and that they can't continue to live the way that they are, but then they have no recourse. They feel like, I don't have any hope. I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anyone to talk to. I don't have any place to return. If I tried to return, maybe they would reject me. But here we know that in the church of God, in the house of God, in the house of the Father, in the parable, there was no rejection. That whenever someone chooses to return, actually this is a day of rejoicing. In Luke 15, verses 18 and 19, what does the son say once he comes to himself? He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Right? He didn't just realize his fault, but he took action and he believed that he had the possibility of restoration. And when he came back again, he came with a brokenness. He came with a spirit of humility. He came believing that I am not entitled to be the son. You know, when he left, he left with the spirit of entitlement that not only am I entitled to be the son, but I'm entitled to take, entitled to take your inheritance before you even die. That is my sense of entitlement. No appreciation for what he had, but all he thought about was himself and what he deserved. Having left and experienced what it was like in the world apart from the love of the Father, when he returned again, he came not with a sense of entitlement, not with a sense of what is it in it for me. He came with a sense of, I am even willing to serve as a hired servant in this house so that I can remain in this house. And this is maybe something we can all understand. Any one of us who has tasted the bitterness of being away from God, and then when we come back, we come with a sense of appreciation. We come with a different uh, perspective that I look at the house of God and I look at God with, in a different way. I am not deserving of anything. I am not owed anything by God. I am just thankful that I can be here. I'm just thankful that God counts me as his son or daughter. So he was not afraid of rejection. And he came back to his father with a spirit of humility, believing that his father would accept him. Also, he came back with a sense of readiness to accept the, the, the consequences of his actions. He didn't try to run away from the consequence. He didn't try to escape. He didn't try to pretend that I'm going to get out of this without any kind of consequence on me at all. It says in verse 17, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Right? Again, the idea of if I have to live as a hired servant, if I have to go back to my house and the only way that my father accepts me is that I am a hired servant and I am no longer at the status of a son, but at the status of a servant, even this I will accept it. I would rather be in the house as a servant than to be outside of the house as a free man who lives completely apart from the love of the father. So he was willing to give up what he had because that's how much he wanted to go back to the father and to accept whatever consequences were necessary for him to return to the house. So in conclusion, we know what happened at the end of the story. The father accepted his son with open arms. He never made him feel like an outcast. He never reminded him of his sin. He did not make him feel ashamed of himself. But in every way, the father treated the son so much better than actually he deserved. And he slaughtered the fatted calf for him that he had come back. And he said in the last verse of the passage, it was right that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And this tells us something about the love of the Father. He is not waiting to chastise us and saying, I told you so. He's saying, I just want my children to come to me. 
like when Christ was speaking to the people and he said, what, I am like the, the hen that wants her chicks to come under her wings, but they were not willing. God is, has open arms for all of us to restore us again, to bring us to himself, to forgive us our sins, to, to make us remember who we really are, our identity and our purpose, and to give us a future and a hope. The problem is when we resist him. The problem is when we deny him. The problem is when we seek out all these attractive things in the world and leave him behind, thinking that those things will bring hope and satisfaction and comfort, but they actually bring suffering and destruction and pain. So this is a parable for all of us and one of the most beautiful parables in the Bible because it tells us about ourselves. It tells us about every time that we seek to deviate from his word, every time that we seek to go astray, every time that we seek to find comfort in the world instead of him. And he says, what, if you go that route, you will find nothing but pain and suffering, but come back to me and I will accept you again. And glory be to God forever. Amen.